0: Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. The way in which we as humans interact with the world around us is surely influenced by the mediums we have at our disposal. I mean, a stone age guy sitting in a cave immersed in a story, as told by the paintings on a wall, is a bit different than a woman with a VR headset on hacking away at zombies. However, broadly speaking, whatever the medium, the visceral reactions they've elicited in people over the course of time could be considered comparable especially when factoring the technology used and expectations at that time. One thing that is certain is that technology and mediums we use to bring us news, entertainment, learnings, or the like have continued on this path of rapid evolution. The results of all this continue to enrapture us all. Well, on today's show, we have the perfect guest lined up to speak on this topic of interactive media, its evolution, and what could be on the horizon. All right, welcome to the show. So Evan Jones is the founder of Stitch Media, an interactive media production services company which tells stories using new technology. A two-time Emmy Award winner, Evan's work combines television, radio, web, mobile, games, and the real world and was recognized in the top 10 new media groundbreakers by the Bell Fund, a major Canadian private fund that finances interactive digital content within Canada. Stitch Media projects range from interactive documentaries, best in electronic culture, by the UNESCO World Summit, to branded entertainment, best in digital marketing, by the Digi Awards. Evan himself has guest lectured on the art and business of interactive story internationally at the Canadian Film Centre, the Australian Film Television Radio School, and the University of Southern California. He's also consulted for the Smithsonian, Greenpeace, Microsoft, Disney, NBC Universal, Nickelodeon, and 20th Century Fox on the future of entertainment. International clients include Microsoft, Disney, Fox, Discovery, CBC, Bell, and the Movie Network. And for all of these reasons and a ton more, I must say, Evan, it's an absolute honor to welcome you to the program. How are you doing? Amazing. Thanks so much for having me today, Chris. Yeah, well, it's certainly an honor to have you on the program. I'm not going to lie; you know, I've been uh, looking forward to this one for a long time for a, a lot of obvious reasons. What you've accomplished in your career, uh, yeah, you're not too shabby there, Evan. Not too shabby at all.
1: It's it's been busy. I mean, it's been about 20 years or so now, and uh, yeah, lots uh, lots of twists and turns in it. But uh, but you know, that's that's a highlight reel. It's we always focus on the on the very best. And uh, yeah, there's been some awesome, awesome projects in the past. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, certainly, you know, excited to get into it all with you here today. And I've got this first segment lined up something called coloring Wikipedia. Uh, As my listeners would know, it's a segment basically where I just read off a definition of what the guest does, sometimes their industry. And I find that it just brings everybody up to speed on what the work is. And also, too, I find it compelling in the sense that you know, we as professionals or business owners, we, we put our own stamp on the work that we do. You know, you might hold a title or a position in one region of the world or one part of the country, and I might have the exact same title, but yet we might approach it differently. So I think that makes it fairly compelling as well. So anyway, I do have you down here for interactive media. And uh, let me just read off that definition and uh, we can go from there. Perfect. Interactive media. Interactive media normally refers to products and services on digital computer-based systems which respond to the user's actions by presenting content such as text, moving image, animation, video, and audio. Since its early conception, various forms of interactive media have emerged with impacts on educational and commercial markets. With the rise of decision-driven media, concerns surround the impacts of cybersecurity and societal distraction. There it
1: is, a bit of a mouthful. But uh, yeah, first take. What do you think of that? I mean, it's uh, it covers a lot of ground. It, it you know the challenge with interactive media is that it's everything, and so you know it's it's really hard to to encapsulate it. And I can t- tell you that I have lived through a lot of definitions. Uh, at the very beginning of my career, it was called new media. Then once it stopped being new, people were thinking of it as multimedia. Then people started to talk about transmedia. And, uh, and then, you know, one thing that I have always re- really made a, a clear line about is that we, the work that we do doesn't specialize in digital media. And a lot of people would like to use that word. Uh, the thing about digital media, though, is that it's literally every media that we have right now, even newspapers have gone digital. And so I don't really like to use the, the concept that we're trying to capture here as digital media. The distinction I really love is interactive media. Uh, you think of, you know, pretty much all of video games is encapsulated by that, but it goes a little bit wider because it's almost any type of media that interacts with the audience that gives you choice or, or changes the project depending on what your actions are, those sorts of things. It, it, uh, it really requires a level of technology that other media doesn't. You know, a lot of digital media is just using a distribution channel. Something like a YouTube video might be something that uh, is digital, but not interactive. Yeah, I like that distinction right out of the gate there. I, I think a lot of people sort of
0: group all digital media in as one as all together. But in reality, of course, as you just sort of spelled things out for us, I mean, there is a major, major line of distinction between the two, and especially in terms of what your company has come to define itself on, you know, this level of interactivity between the user, between the content. So yeah, I like that. I'm glad you addressed that right away. Mm -hmm. Returning to the definition really quickly, would you say there's anything you'd you'd like to add to it or perhaps even de-emphasize for that matter?
1: I mean, you know, they talk about the constituent parts. The definition like lists a bunch of things that can go into it. You know, that's that's like the ingredients of making a recipe. I think the thing that I really want to highlight in it is that, you know, decision-driven media is is the, the word that they use later on. And for me, it fundamentally changes the way that you're having a conversation with what they call the audience, you know, audience is really from a term that we would use for more passive media, you know, somebody is consuming, this is, Mm. this is totally different, people are sometimes co creating media at the same time, they're certainly making choices in the media that needs to be reacted to, and I think that the mindset of interactive media needs to really, the, the thing I like to talk about is that the audience is in the room, is that y- you mm. don't get the opportunity to, you know, tell your story without really acknowledging that somebody else is actively participating in it. And, and so that's the, the way that I, I, I talk about it is it's, yeah, it's, sure, it's text and images and sounds and things, but the decisions are the part that changes it. Certainly,
0: certainly. Yeah, I must say, I'm, I'm quite keen to get into the weeds of all of that, and I'm sure we will shortly. But before we do that, I actually have this other question here that I'd like to, uh, to throw at you. So I see here in your bio, you know, despite being the founder of Stitch Media, you list yourself as an interactive producer, as a professional title, as well as creative director. And I, I found that interesting, you know, I found that quite compelling. And I was hoping maybe you could bring us up to speed on what that means as far as, you know, your daily, weekly routine, so on and so forth. Uh, presumably here, Evan, uh, you, it strikes me as you could be a bit of a busy guy with, uh, with all these different hats
1: that, uh, that you're wearing. The biggest challenge is that those two roles, and I, I list them separately on purpose because most of the time they're at war with each other and mm-hmm. uh, and it, most companies, larger companies would probably separate those two pretty dramatically, and the yeah. reason is because the creative director has to have only one thing in their mind, which is how to create the most you know cohesive and High quality project, you know, what are the standards that we're going to use and how ambitious is that project? And so they are, they're, you know, they're an idea factory out there. And, uh, and the producer is the money person. And, and the money person, the, the, the definition I love to give is that being a producer is really easy. You just get paid last. And the people who really do a great job as producers, there's enough money at the end of the project that they can pay themselves. And so, you know, pitching an idea, estimating how much it's going to cost, making sure that it stays within those costs uh, is the idea of the interactive producer. They are constantly bound by the externalities, whereas the creative director is the one who's saying, yeah, but what is it? And, uh, and so often the two of those are sitting in my mind, fighting it out because, you know, you get a great idea, you realize you can't afford it, who wins? And uh, and that's the kind of the 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 dichotomy that I guess I have in the normal day to day. Yeah, I, I can see how the founder,
0: the role of the founder, basically embodies those different two different positions. In essence, right? You as the person overseeing all of it, you know, certainly concerned with the finances, want to stay within budget. Yeah. But then also, too, on the other side, yeah, you're a bit of a dreamer, right? You you want the best for the project. You want to take it as far as you can. So. Yeah, I can see how those two roles would encapsulate both sort of duties. That being said, I could also see how it could create, you know, some internal discord at times mm-hmm. as well. I'd be curious to know whether or not you, it ever crosses your mind. You're like, well, you know, no, maybe I should just remove myself from this situation. You know, let my interactive producers right. do what they do. Let my creative directors do what they do. Just in the realization that, you know, you as a founder are going to have a different level of, you know, of interest, a vested interest in all of this, whether you're consciously aware of it at times or not. I'd be curious whether or not that sort of thinking ever crosses your mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have professional and personal struggles with that. Like, uh, you know, part of it is that I'm in this business because I love being creative and I want to be able to, you know, have my mark on the projects that I do. So there's that drive. From a producer standpoint, it makes no sense for me to be involved directly because there's another, you know, cost associated with that. Whereas I could go out and be, you know, expanding the business or doing more of the, the other side of it. So, you know, those things are always at battle with each other. The, the thing that I have really been good at is that I have surrounded myself with people that always do things better than I can do. And so I have learned to trust them to do amazing things inside the definition of what we're trying to build together and so i i hope that uh i can give as much credit as is due to all of the team because they make me look great and i don't get to do very much but the thing about being the creative director is that you know you you sort of set a tone to a project and you you sort of create the very high level of it but you can't possibly be working on all of the pieces of it and and so that's really all the people that work with me that, that make, make the actual project happen. Okay. Well, maybe we can slide on over into a new segment here,
0: Evan, something called Pathways. And basically, this is just a segment where I you know, aim to illustrate how the guests made their way into the profession. Sometimes we're looking at formative life experiences, uh, professional experiences along the way. And I was thinking here that we could rewind a little bit, we could go before Stitch Media was a thing. And uh, and hear a little bit more about, you know, the lead
1: up to your company and uh, what went into it. Sure. I'll try not to to be too long. The uh, I mean, the story started is that I was at a very interesting time in history in my childhood because it was at a time that computers were really starting to get to consumer levels. And so I was, you know, tinkering with computers at the very earliest stages and I was you know online before an internet existed which was mostly bbs's where you would direct dial with a phone in and you would be able to transfer files and things that way so i was discovering like the the earliest parts of the internet and uh because i was fascinated in that i went to school for computer science by third year computer science i looked to the left of me and i looked to the right of me and i realized that i did not want to have a career with any of the people that i was in class with and i am apologies to everybody yeah. that i was in class with but at the time the computer science was obsessed with the actual workings of a computer itself and i wasn't i wasn't really interested in that what i was interested in is what computers could do and so i had my existential crisis and i left the major i had and i ended up taking a minor in film Film studies, another thing that I was fascinated by. And I graduated with this bizarre degree that was sort of half computer science and half film. And at the time, that literally everyone just thought it was the worst possible like duality. It's funny how much people can look backwards and say, oh, that makes sense right now. But I assure you at the time, it felt like I had just done two half projects instead of really getting something actionable. And so I ended up going to school again. And I went back this time to college and at the time it was a program called interactive multimedia. And I basically learned how to make websites and, and be proto apps like computer software and things like that, really practical stuff to be able to build it. And then I, again, looked around at the jobs that everybody in my class was getting offered to like work at a bank, making a website. And I thought, I can't really do that. And, uh, and so I went back to school a third time and it was, it was to the Canadian film center and they had a project, a program at the time called interactive arts and entertainment and I got exposed to something I'd never considered before, which was being a producer and, and being a producer was really generally coming up with an idea, convincing somebody to give you the money to make it and then making it for the right budget and, and pulling it all together. And that just seemed like, I didn't really realize that that had such an entrepreneurial streak, but for me, it was just the normal thing to do. I was fascinated by projects. And if I could find somebody who thought they were valuable, I could, I could make them happen. And, uh, and early on, I started getting obsessed uh, with something that I saw emerging. This is gonna seem so old, but it's, it was a world called alternate reality games. Yeah, And uh, right around the turn of the millennium, like early 2000s, there, the internet was so young and people were still figuring out what it meant. And the concept of not being factual on the internet was, uh, was a strange, uh, like strange thing to imagine. I know that we live now in such a different world and the idea of misinformation being weaponized is so different. But at the time... The idea of being able to create fictional characters that existed on the internet was felt for the first time like it was a use of all the media together in a way that had never been used before. Because people had all of these conceits for the way that, you know, telephone calls worked and switchboards and email and things like that. And I ended up obsessing over creating. This whole story world, more than just a story, but something that people had to discover by finding different websites that were in, in sort of conflict with each other, and finding characters who would help you and characters who would uh, who would not help you and things like that. So w- I created this very elaborate kind of fiction in my mind that used all the technology of the Internet to communicate and that. That was a really groundbreaking project for me because at the time I got a chance to uh, join a studio and pitch it. And uh, and the movie network in Canada picked it up and attached it to their sort of signature dramatic series that they had at the time called Regenesis. And so I wiped all of the names off of the project and put all the names of the characters of the show into the, the story. We launched... A really radical thing that ended up winning a bunch of awards and sort of launching my career as well as uh, my ability to say, you know, I can do this, Uh, you know, after after a time, you have to get that first one under your belt before you can really prove it. And uh, and then after about five years working elsewhere, I. Decided that it was time to start my own thing, and Stitch Media was born. 2007. I love to tell people that the company was founded before the iPhone, which really helps to put some context around the amount of technical change that we have seen over the course. Like at the beginning, I was I was making weblogs and things like uh, you know different things that people don't even consider mainstream anymore, and uh, as a result you know we have now evolved through apps and games and vr and and doing all kinds of different things but what i love to say about the company is that we tell stories through technology and that has been the through line of every project that we've done we we're not a company that will make like a grocery stores website we are also not a studio that would make, you know, a linear film without thinking about the ways that it could tie into uh, an audience engagement plan. One of the very first things that, that stood out to me
0: while listening to you share all that information is that you've you come across as someone who is quite cerebral, even at a very young age. I, I think most students maybe, maybe, would just kind of go with the flow. You know, all right, I'm in these types of courses. My goal is just to not fail, to get through university, have a good time. Yeah. You know, but it seemed to me that you're, you're really considering, deeply considering how the technology, how the pathways could align for you or, or wouldn't align for you ultimately as far as lining up to your passions and whatnot. Yeah. So that's one of the very first things that stood out to me. Now, the other thing is this notion of serendipity, perhaps. Uh, You know, in terms of, I guess, being exposed to that producer's role, certainly that was a formative point, you know, a bit of a fork in the road for you as far as, you know, outlining different possibilities. And I'd be curious to know whether that was something you were seeking out at that point or if it just sort of like fell in your lap or you were sort of gently nudged towards that, you know, exposure or that experience.
1: No. So there are so many times that I come and speak to students right now about, the fact that all of these biographies sound like they have such a a direction to them and i really really try to assure people that it was never the case yeah. it, it, the whole time along it was like well i'm currently interested in this and so i will chase that for a you know a fixed amount of time and you know when you're in your youth and you can say like hey is this worth six months uh, if if it if it is, it's gonna take you in a path. And and it's only really in hindsight that it all sort of like seems like it made sense, like building blocks to something. I can guarantee you that I was, you know, leaving one program and thinking, well, what am I gonna do now? And I was like, well, I'm not really ready to make that choice yet. I'll try this because it sounds intriguing. And lo and behold, there were things to take away from that. So I was really, really fortunate that I like landed in so many different good situations but the other is that i you know had the privilege to be able to to chase things that were interesting to me that was that was something that i really don't take for granted ever is that i i was given room to be able to you know try things and i knew what i was passionate about but you're right there were many times even up till recently that I've had to do a lot of kind of deep reflection to ask myself, like, am I doing the right thing right now? And, uh, yeah, I, I am very lucky to be able to be so self-reflective,
0: I guess, you know, i got to say there, Evan, I mean, that, that information right there, it perfectly encapsulates the, the sentiment of this whole segment, this pathway segment, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for about a year now, a little over a year. I've interviewed close to 70, 75 different professionals, all different walks of life and work. And there is this running sort of commonality that sort of binds them all together, which is, yeah, there's a lot of left-hand turns. There's a lot of zigging and zagging. It, it very, very rarely uh, is the case where a professional has this singular mission or, or a goal, and they go straight towards it. It just doesn't seem to go that way. A lot of times people, through serendipity, through a bit of focus, expose themselves to a, a number of different situations, people, networks, so on and so forth. And through those opportunities, through reflection, you know, what you were speaking of, they're, they're able to, uh, to, to come to new realizations and
1: set new courses or new directions for where they would like to take their careers. The other thing that I often talk about with this is that I see so many people, and I fell down the same trap early in their careers, who really, they just want a job in sort of a sector that they're interested in, and so they will be ready for anything. They will say, you know, well, w- well what are you interested in? Well, oh, I could do anything, and uh, and I see this especially in the interactive media sector because... People could be a programmer, they could be a graphic designer, they could be a camera person. There's so many, like the range is quite wide in what you could do. You could be doing bookkeeping in this space. And so when people want to sort of feel like they're keeping their opportunities open, they say, I'm ready for anything. I have to warn people that that I've taken that path and it doesn't work. And the reason is because there's no reason to remember you. And and that's that's what I've learned over the time is that meeting lots of people, even early in my career, you know, you're having lots of conversations, but there's nothing about that message of please just give me a job that will stick in people's minds. And what really sticks in people's minds is like telling them what you absolutely want to do more than anything, and as narrowly focused as possible, because that kind of message helps me to put people, I talk about like putting people in kind of a mental box, you know, like I have a colleague, Vincent, who I've worked with before, and Vincent only wants to draw the most grotesque and disturbing pictures that you can possibly make. That is his passion, and it is definitely not for everyone. But I can tell you that whenever somebody asks me for like you know a horror poster or something, the first name that pops into my head is Vincent. like I just immediately associate that need with him, and he is so happy to have me like contact him because he knows it's gonna be exactly up his alley. Mm. so you know that kind of like i mean in some ways people talk about it as personal branding or something, but i I think more philosophically it's just you know, get over the fear of closing those doors because you'll actually open many more doors by declaring publicly what it is that you're looking for. Yeah,
0: that is some solid advice. For those who are listening at home, now is the time to pick up that pencil, whatever using your Apple Pen, jot that, that note down there. Right there. <laughs> that's advice that's not being shared nearly enough these days, but uh, is certainly valuable. Well, perhaps we could meander over into a new segment here, something called a Q&A discovery. And we can just kind of continue this back and forth. And I want to lead off with this one here. You know, in researching for this talk and going to the Stitch Media website uh, and seeing your socials, I, I came across this tagline, we tell stories with new technology. And I'd love for you to, you know, go a little bit further on what that means or at least what that means to you. And then also maybe you could uh, share some projects that you've been working on that kind of illustrate this point.
1: I mean, the way that we approach projects is that when you have, when you're a kind of one stop shop for one particular project, then this is going to come off as the most disingenuous thing possible, because I just spoke about, you know, getting into a niche. But what I, what I will say is that when you're a studio that makes mobile apps, And, and you brand yourself that way, every time you see a problem, you're, you're going to think the solution is in mobile app. And so, and it's the same with, you know, being a television company, production company, you're like, oh, I can make a show about that. What we really try to do when we start a project is we say, what are we trying to achieve as a result from this? And how can the technology enable that? How can it amplify it? And so there are tons of times where we do vastly different projects because they need to be using different technology in different ways. And I'll I'll give you a couple of examples. We are right now working on a beautiful project with an artist out of Montreal called 80,000 Steps, and uh, it's going to be launching soon. The intention there is that we wanted to capture the stories of this artist and her grandmother and her grandmother has suffered a lot of trauma in her life as a refugee and she comes to this country unwilling to speak about it and what she realizes is that she's sort of closing the door for her grandchild and she says come and walk with me and so in this story the idea is that as long as we're taking this walk together I will share these stories with you, and, uh, and it's a way of me being able to you know, compartmentalize the memories, and also we don't have to be face-to-face in this way. We're sort of walking together in this idea, and so we have ended up creating an audio narrative that relies on your footsteps, and the idea is that if you as the participant will not walk, then you will not experience this story. And it uses the GPS and the pedometer of your phone wow. uh, connecting to the sound so that you earn the, the story through your walks. And you, each chapter uh. is a prescribed distance of walking, and we, and we set it out that way. But that's an example of where we've taken like, the kernel of the idea that we wanted to, to express, and we've turned it into a technical oh, yeah. aspect, which is limiting the experience through the, the, the GPS pedometer they're you know completely different is that we were approached by another studio called Silverstring media and they said we want to build out our story world with this notion of an escape room and if you've ever played an escape room it's a lot of puzzles that you have to solve to get out of the room and uh, we decided to create a virtual reality escape room and the number one problem that we encountered with virtual reality was that early devices would made people motion sick and, and so we said, okay, well, we have this goal that we want it to be intensely immersive. But we also know that every single time that you move in VR, you're potentially triggering some people. The, the technology has improved a lot, but these were the constraints we had. And so what we, what we did was we created this world about ripping open different dimensions of space so that we could have a, a mechanic that would move between these fantastic worlds without ever physically moving your body. And so you you just reach out and you grab hold of the, the sort of veil of reality and you pull it open and it tears and shows you a new world that you're traveling towards. And so we took the technology that had its advantages, which was the intense immersion that you would feel in virtual reality, but we also built the story with a a premise that said, no, no, you are bound to this chair. And and this magical bindings are the reason that you can't like move around the space, which would have been a problem for us in in other ways. So it's about leaning into the ways that a certain technology has advantages and using those uh, to tell the stories that we're trying to tell. I I could go on, but maybe you want to breath in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's
0: absolutely fascinating. It blows me away. And one of the things that, that hit me first off was that it, it's shattering this image of interactive gaming, interactive media. I think a lot of people still, like a lot of lay people, I suppose, would would have this sort of simplistic idea of what that means, you know, option A, B, or C. But what you're presenting here, especially in that that first example of the, the, the interactive game or media that's triggered using a pedometer, yep. I mean, that is taking it to a, a whole different level a whole different level for that user and yeah. in essence i mean that that's creating a bit of magic in a way and at the end of the day and certainly i mean that that's probably what you're after what that's what the client's after but you're you're bridging different worlds there different emotions as well in in terms of all of this so yeah i mean the words that come to mind again magic uh, you know the compelling nature of it all it's it's showing us a you know, a new world of possibility, really, you know, altering
1: our reality in a lot of different senses. I mean, the goal the goal is really to sort of make the form follow the function in a way, is that like the, the technology itself has to sort of follow the story. And sometimes the story is following the technology. It's when they're working perfectly together that they actually, you know, create a really transcendent project. I mean, there are so many... Really interesting approaches. Uh, like we, I'll give you two other examples, very different examples, just so that I can really feel out the space. We've been working. Uh, we were working with theater producers during the the pandemic, and they were trying to do something interesting with like Zoom theater. And so the way that it worked was that we had a live improvisational actress on on sort of a stage doing the show but the show was all about online dating. And so we actually built a kind of a, a Tinder clone that uh, you know, would have swiping abilities. And there was, a, there was a second story that was happening through the people that you were meeting in this online tool and the dating choices that you were making. But simultaneously, what the, what the actress was seeing was a full heads-up display of the statistics of the audience so that she could call people out and say this person's got really weird tastes or something, and they would sort of like draw them onto the virtual stage to say you're a part of the improv now, and uh, and so there was like this data channel that was happening right in real time with the performance. If I were to throw out another crazy idea. I mean, the work that we did with Greenpeace, I was a consultant on this project. It was called Love Letters to the Future, and it was at another studio, but we came up with this idea to create a time capsule. It was all about climate change, and we recorded people talking as if they were speaking like 50 years in the future about the things that they really love right now that they are not sure that people 50 years from now will have a chance to appreciate. And there was a poignancy and a tragicness to so many of those messages that became this kind of online archive. And then we physically put it like in a drive buried in the ground to be discovered 50 years later. But just the context that we set around the kind of stories that we were trying to capture created a tone that uh that meant it was a truly collaborative project. So, yeah, I guess. All to say, it's a very open-ended statement, but you can see how it guides us. Definitely. One
0: thing that struck me right away from that is this careful attention to both the technology and the story. Because if you're leaning too heavily one way or the other, I mean, the project is certainly not going to turn out the way that you'd hoped or envisioned. And uh, such a critical element that you've always got to keep your eye on the ball as far as, as that point in particular.
1: Yeah. And one of the hardest things that I have to do is I have to try new things all the time. And uh and I have to try them with an eye to saying, why does this exist? And, and that's usually the way that I try to get into something is that, you know, every trend that has come and gone, I have had to take a moment to say, you know. Suddenly, I'm now an older guy who's like probably not going to jump onto TikTok every minute, but the reality is is that I have to. I have to be in there because I have to see how is TikTok different than everything else? Like how does it work and And what affordances does that technology give to the creators so that they can use it properly? Mm-hmm. Because eventually I'm going to get put in the spot of saying you know, oh, we want something on TikTok. And I'm either going to have to say that's a great idea or that's a terrible idea. And I'm going to need to know why. And so there's a lot of time that I spend researching new technology. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, I
0: mean, you have to be informed. You have to keep yourself informed with everything that is going on around you in terms of technology and then also culture. I mean, culture and technology, I think, are layered upon one another. And You know, if all the kids are onto this platform and you've got to build something that's catering to their needs, wants, desires, well, you better be informed, right? So that certainly makes sense to me. Yeah, and another thing here too, I mean, obviously within your line of work, you've got to be pushing a lot of technological boundaries. You, You have to understand what's out there already and then how and where you can kind of massage it or push it or take it a different direction. And that unto itself, I think that's really interesting because- I'm sure. I mean, you, your your company is staked a name and reputation off yeah. of doing that. You've already kind of illustrated some of those projects that you're working on or have worked on have had great success. But beyond that, I'm sure there's been some failure in there as well. For but, sure. Uh, that's certainly part of it. But maybe uh, we could shift things around a little bit here and you could speak to me a little bit about that. So,
1: I mean, you've hit the crux of the challenge that we have, which is that if something can be done and it's quite well understood, we shouldn't be doing it. And, and the reason is because we're really much more of a, of a kind of a luxury brand, you know, is that we can't, if, if a product exists and, and you can just say, you know, here's how you make a website, like go to it, you know, that's, that's where we actually pass that on and say, no, this, this is something that's well understood and we don't take that. What it means, though, is that we accept in all of our projects just an unbelievable amount of risk. And and that comes from a lot of different aspects, the the biggest one being technical feasibility. So we're, we're constantly trying little experiments. Can you connect this to this and get, you know, weather reports to show up on a live projection or something? You know, like we have all of these different times where we're just trying it to see if it's possible and that's because we're we're making decisions on what we can pitch as potential projects but inevitably there's never a 100% guarantee mm-hmm. and so what we have to factor into that is is the extra cost of taking on that risk because sometimes it is possible but it costs 8 times more than you thought it would or it is possible, but you have to start it all again, even after you built it completely because you realized at the last minute that it's not going to work. And so you've got to do it now with the lessons learned. Well, if you're an interactive producer thinking about the money side, like that's got to be double the budget because you've done it twice now. And, and so we have to factor in a little bit of extra cushion because every project that we are taking on has a significant amount of uncertainty around it. And the nice thing is that it means that we can iterate. There's, there's a lot about other media that's sort of like one and done. Like you publish a book and then it's like, well, what are you going to do? Do a reprint of it? You know, whereas we, we can go in and we can replace a video, we can change the code, we can change the variables, and the whole thing will, will be improved as a result. And so we really try to approach projects in an iterative way. So, that we are trying to downplay as much of that risk as we have in it.
0: Yeah, actually, just this past weekend, I was listening to a Canadian uh, podcast program, Q, with Tom Bauer. Of course. Yeah, and he was talking to this guy, uh, James Cameron. You, know, you, you might have heard of him. Titanic, I've heard of him, Avatar, yes. Ring a Bell. Anyway, um, they're having this really interesting discussion. And James Cameron was talking about way back in the day, before he released Avatar, uh, he had the, the idea, the conceptual framework for that yeah. film. And uh, certainly he had lots of connections within the industry. He'd built a reputation himself, yeah. you know, based off of special effects and whatnot. And so what he did is he went with a lot of the partner companies that he'd been working with in the past and said, okay, I, here's my idea. I've got this thing. I, I want to work on it. But uh, what do you think? Can we, do you think we can pull this off? And basically the, these companies said to, to James is like, well, your idea of what you would like to accomplish if we're going to scale this is on, say, level 10. But the industry, at best, at best right now, is at, say, level three in terms of technological capability. So what James Cameron did is he just basically decided to shelve it, just sit on it, sit on this idea, and just wait for the technology to, to catch up. And certainly, he kept tabs on things. And as it was reaching a precipice where he thought, all right, well, maybe I can entertain this notion of... You know, re-examining the possibility of getting this thing off the ground. Yeah, that's what he did. He took it out there, and uh, sure enough, you know, the the industry had caught up, technologically speaking, and he was able to uh, to get that film out there. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what he did for the second Avatar, because there was a big gap in there as well, where he had these ambitions and was just waiting for the industry to to reach a point where he could entertain notions of executing on it. So anyway. In terms of getting back to this conversation, and here's the question for you: I mean, do you ever have these moments or ideas towards projects, you know, related to the technology, related to the stories and whatnot, where you're like, "Well, I'd love to do this, this, and this, but maybe I'm just going to have to hold off before I introduce this
1: concept to the world." <laughs> I wish I was in a situation where I could wait. Uh, the, my reality is is that you know the projects that are happening need to be done in a in a specific time frame, and so much more. We are on the opposite side of that coin, where we're saying, "Here's where, like, if we're at level three right now, how can we squeeze every drop out of like a level three tech implementation?" and uh, And what can we do now to get it started or to get the most out of where we're at? So I have projects that have not aged well because the technology has gone quite a bit further since then. But at the time they were really groundbreaking. And the, and the other thing to your point is that I have a massive graveyard of ideas that I want to make. The challenge though, is that they're all in dead pitches. And, uh, and and what I mean by that is that I have, you know, you don't get every project that you present. And so, you know, at the best of times, it's sort of like one in 10 will go forward. And so you've got nine different concepts that you sort of poured your heart into that are sitting there on a shelf. And what I have to admit is the dirty secret of somebody working in the creative industry is that you polish off some of those and you you say, hey, wait a minute, this idea, even though it's not like it's not the first time I've had it is still relevant it, it really would work in this situation and so uh, you know okay i'm reusing the concept but i'm totally transforming it because it's now in a different capacity but the nice thing about that is that you've had that idea simmering for a while and uh and when it comes back out, it can come back even stronger because you you now know exactly what you're trying to say creatively. I would venture to say, Evan, I
0: mean that's that's probably part of the creative process unto itself, right? I mean, you're you're taking ideas from say a dead pitch, as you'd mentioned, several of them in fact, but you have these ideas floating around in your mind and you're picking bits and pieces from all of them, and of certainly you know, molding them to the the needs and desires of what this creative brief is after. And by doing so, you are, in essence, coming up with something new, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I do have this other question here. And just to give some background information for listeners, I mean, in preparing for these talks and these interviews, I do request guests to send across information so I can get a good idea, you know, of of what their past accomplishments are all about, you know, what what they do, all these different things. And in terms of what Evan provided me, he was very gracious and, and gave me quite a bit to work with. And you even drew reference to like, maybe it's too much, but uh, you know, you can pick and choose what you want to, to go after for this interview. And as far as Stitch Media being founded in 2007 with a couple of years of freelance work before that started, you know, Evan provided me with two or three A4 size pages (laughs) of accomplishments, awards, so on and so forth. And I'm not Putting this out there to say what a braggy guy Evan is, because certainly we can all sort of understand that that's the furthest thing—not even close. But what I am trying to, to, to get around to here is that you know it was mesmerizing when I was going through all of this. I mean, you had awards covering you know television, radio, web, mobile, games, in the real world. Those are very, very different you know genres to be working within, and we've spoken about this already. But what struck me here, and this is where I'm going with this question, is philosophically speaking, like you and your company must be keyed in on some rather weighty values and ideals. I mean, to be hitting such levels of success consistently across all these different genres, across all these different forms of media. Uh, maybe you could speak to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the failures don't make the list, though, right? I think the... The reason that we as a team have had so much success is that we we have really tried to approach every single project that we do with a very open mind and kind of an open heart about it as well is that you know people don't give us money because they feel charitable they're they're looking to achieve something and we need to very very clearly understand the 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 goals of what success would look like for any project and they can be so different you know some of them are about comedy and virality and some of them are about you know taking action and changing your life and some of them are just about like educating you know there's so many different ways that we we come to a project and i think what our magic is is that we we come as open as possible and and when we are looking at a project we haven't decided what technology it needs and we haven't decided how to tell that story and we start asking a lot of questions you know it actually becomes a really big interrogation phase of a, of a project to to kind of get down to the kernel of like why why are we doing this and uh, and I think I think when we hit upon why we're doing it, it it can like then everything kind of comes out from that that center, and uh, you know I'm sure there's lots of motivational folks who would talk about this, but that is that is the magic for us is that we present a lot of different diverse work, and it's because all of our skills, and I really want to include the team in this. All of our skills are in service to, uh, you know, a, a goal that we want, and that can be a, a creative and narrative goal just as much. You know, what is the feeling that we want to feel, and how do we, how do we, how do we create it? And uh, and so we we talk a lot in our company about really really high concept things because I. Just the other day, had a long discussion about the the importance of names, and uh, and it was because when you're right now we're making a game, and uh, and when you make a game, there are dozens, if not thousands, of things in the game, and uh, and what's tempting is to give things a placeholder is to just be like you know that's that's the widget or whatever or that's the card and uh and what ends up happening and i was telling the team is that those names are hard to shake even though they're placeholders they start to make like they inform your choices all the way through we had one game where we were playing around with spells we were trying to cast spells as a wizard and where do you get spells well the place you get spells is uh in a spell book and then we said okay well the properties of a book then have so many affordances i'll use the word again like books have a linear out, linear page count you know and and uh one page contains one spell and there's already assumptions that come with a book that may not be the way that spells work in this universe and so by giving things names we we start to define them and uh and this is the kind of bizarre conversations that we have at our studio and, and it also applies in the technical ways is that you know there are like eight different ways that you can achieve something technically, but which of those feels the most appropriate at the time and and how can you justify it And so we have developers on our team, programmers who can have a conversation about why they're implementing a certain like a certain framework, just because of the way that the, the end user is gonna experience it. So I, I guess we try our hardest to do brave work and it, it does win awards. Sometimes it pays the bills, not all the time, but we take a lot of satisfaction from trying to answer the hard questions first and then it means that all the rest of the project seems to make sense afterwards. And, and I guess the proof is that people see that in the results at the end. You know, they they feel that it makes sense.
0: Hmm. I mean, what I picked up from that was this notion of detail. You know, detail being absolutely critical to the overall success or failure of a project. But but beyond that, beyond this, this attention to detail, I think it's a point of culture within your company that, you know, this is the process that we... You know, adhere to from start, from conceptualizing some of these ideas, right on through to debating some of the finer points and finer details of it all. You know, there there has to be this openness, this awareness of some of these these points. It's not just you know going full fledged, you know, tech, 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 and just hammering that point. No, it, it it has to run deeper than that. And in the process of doing that and doing it well, more times than not, it would seem to me at least, again, judging from your track record of success, you are positioning yourself to allow for, you know, execution, for lack of a better word there. So yeah, really, really interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that listeners are able to kind of get this inside look at, you know, how a successful company is run from these vantage points. Quickly shifting gears, though, I do actually have one last question in this segment here, Evan. And this one's returning to, uh, to the personal side a little bit. I mean, we've spoken a lot about your career, about your business, uh, about a lot of different things here. But uh, I want to go big picture here. I mean, looking back and reflecting on it all, accomplishments, some challenges along the way, all of it. I mean, what what does it all come to mean
1: to you? Yeah, sure. I uh, I can tell you a story about uh, a time when I wasn't sure. And, uh, and it was that probably around 10 years ago, it was, uh, you know, a rough patch that we were going through. And like so many people who are forging their own way, it was a big question of like, should I be doing this? Am I doing the right thing? And, uh, and what I set myself as a, an experiment was I said, I need to imagine that I've then I'm giving it up. I need, to, I need to say that I'm not doing it anymore. And, uh, and so I said, okay, what would I do on the first day that I, I wasn't going to do this anymore? And, uh, you know, eat chips and watch television was probably on the list. And then, it was, uh, and then it was like, okay, well, what about after that? And after that, and like writing this down to say, okay, well, what, what would my dream be and what ended up happening was that I started to realize once I sort of got rid of all the hangups of like running a business and what it stood for, I had some weird things I wanted to try building. I wanted to like create some cool toys. I wanted to see like, you know, could I get robots to do this or something? And uh, and as I was writing it down, it was so obvious that I was never going to be able to escape this world that I've created for myself is that I, like within a week or two, I started to see the edges of interactive media production kind of like seeping back in. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, what it means for me is that I love doing this. And the reason is because I am this weird person who simultaneously has the fascination with the the technical and the scientific challenges of of technical progress that we have, and then I also love the craft of storytelling and the way that uh, you can you can motivate people you can change people and uh, and the two married together is the ultimate goal. I feel like i'm constantly chasing this ideal where the 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 project is completely married to both the story and the technical implementation of it and every single project we have is an attempt of that and just in different degrees of success and and I see other people that have done things that that really inspire me to do to do other bold things like that so I mean I'm stuck here that's what I do and uh and I've come to peace with it the fortunate thing is that I meet a lot of people along the way and we collectively create some amazing things together. And uh and I see people, the the creators and how proud they are of the work, but I also see the people that we are helping in different ways. You know, some of our projects are much more entertainment focused and some of them are much more artistic. And each of them have their own reason for being. I think what what's really helped me is that every single project has a different goalpost set. And, uh, and it's really not about what I like about the project or what I don't like about it. It's about how, how close we got to that goal. And, uh, and that's a really fulfilling challenge. And, and it, it happens in such a big possibility space that I think we should celebrate all the times that we got anywhere close to the goal because, uh, it's, it's tricky. I
0: really, really liked and appreciated how you laid out those ideas right there, Evan. I I think we as a society, we as individuals at times, we get focused on the end goal, Yeah, you know, and and, and there is some value in that obviously at times. But I think what you are also alluding to there was that there is the process in behind it all as well from the conceptualizing, from the beginning. And uh, I like that point you raised of what you guys are always keyed in on, which is marrying these two notions of story and technical elements. And it's such a creative space. I mean, there's so many different avenues to explore within all of that, that it allows for a lot of creative expression. It allows for a lot of opportunity for passion to to show itself through. And in doing so, I mean, there's your enjoyment. There it is right there. I mean, if you can hit that in any sort of professional sense, you're way ahead of the game, and more times than not, I, I'm guessing, I'm assuming, you're gonna be positioning yourself to be, you know, getting closer to hitting some of those targets that you've set forth uh, at the start of some of these projects. So, yeah, I, I, it was just a really lovely way of putting it out there. I'm not gonna follow it up with any other questions. I think we're uh, we're we're just gonna leave it that one to to sit there and stew within uh, people's minds. Not only that, I am going to count that uh, personal reflection and story as the water cooler story segment, again, for those who are uh, keeping track at home. So which does lead us into the final segment here, Evan, a crystal ball segment, as the name implies, we're looking to trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And usually more times than not, you know, the segment is, uh, is based around technology. And of course, within the context of this conversation today, it'll be no different. And here's the million-dollar question. I mean, in terms of where we're headed with regards to interactive media, we've kind of touched upon some of these things already. I, I'd really like to know from somebody like yourself who's immersed within this world, you know, where you see things going. You know, seemingly technological change is just occurring at this exponential rate, you know, whether that's accurate or not. I mean, that 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 is the perception, not only for myself, but I think for a lot of people, so I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you're taking all of this, and uh, where where
1: is interactive media going? I have a lot of predictions. Being an old man now, I have a bit of context to be able to to see how the trends are going. And what I what I have seen in a couple of different places is that there is exponential change, and then it plateaus. And the thing I would reference are, are the physical technology. If we really focused on smartphones, you can imagine that there was a time where it was like every new phone that was coming out was like, you know, keynote address worthy. And, uh, and we would just be amazed everybody had to have it. We are now at a place where basically all the smartphones kind of do the same things. And the, there's no new models that really like blow the lid off of things. People are buying them because they broke their old phones. They're not buying them because they're getting a massive upgrade in their change of life. And so what I watch for is where are the places that are accelerating in change and where are the places that are decelerating in change and what are the factors there? So we shouldn't just imagine that we are going to be in a runaway for every aspect of technology. People do end up sort of settling into a place. The other is if I really wanted to look into my crystal ball, the, the, this is the year to be talking about artificial intelligence because it has had such a watershed moment with ChatGPT. What I can say from my profession is that I lived a good portion of my life watching broadcasting. And, uh, and so we had media before technology. You can imagine all yeah. of the music that you heard in your life of two centuries ago. Was live performances of music, and then we had recorded music, and suddenly we had this ability to have like uh, a way to to get scale in media, and uh, and so that was a huge huge revolution for us to be able to have radio, television, uh, news, things like printed word, all of that stuff, and it it meant that one person could reach the whole world suddenly, then we started to see this world of interactive media, which started to be, instead of one-to-many, it was one-to-one in some ways. It was, uh, you know, with with broadcasting, the idea is that you make one television show and everybody watches the same show. But when you're making a video game, you're not building an experience that everybody's going to have in the same way. You're building a system and an algorithm that is reacting to their individual choices to create a story that they experience almost individually Uh, i mean with a more with a complex enough system we are creating this world that everybody has their own experience of interactive media because they've chosen their own path the ai revolution is a really interesting one because in some ways i don't know quite the the phrasing to use this is half-baked, so you're getting it first here, Uh, but the idea is that we don't even necessarily have authorship in the same way because the, the, the notion here is that if you take live music performance to recorded music performance, now we're getting into spontaneously generated performances that are happening through AI, and you see a direct line heading towards entertainment and art being something that can be generated at whim for the individual. And so right now, I'm constrained by production is that, you know, if I'm making a video game, sure, there's a lot of branching parts to it, but I have to make all of those parts. And so I am limited in scale about how far I can create because I I have a budget. And it's fixed by the amount of content that can exist in it. But when I when I connect something together with, say, ChatGPT or its successors, I don't have to worry about the issues of scale anymore. I now can individualize every single interaction to be completely customized to the individual that is, you know, participating in it and uh and i don't quite know if that leaves room for me but i am fascinated by it and i think that we should be looking hard at at where it's going because you know these changes are happening around us in a way that we may not be realizing that we can we can make choices about and so i guess where i would leave it is that i can totally imagine sort of holodeck-esque experience where you are fully immersed in a space it is being generated live in front of you based on the previous iterations and it is reacting to you in a way that is not the decision tree that was built by an individual or a team like mine it is being like spontaneously built in that in that way so I think it'll be really interesting to know what kind of shared stories we have as a society knowing that that is potentially a future for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I I don't know personally
0: how I feel about all of this and I think yeah I don't think I'm in the the minority here either. I think a lot of people are you know, caught up in all of this, this chatter with AI, and especially with chat GPT and, and all the other iterations that are going to be coming down the pipeline. We all know, of course, Google has one coming out soon, too. But it's it's these swirling emotions of, you know, being perplexed by it all to a certain degree in terms of what it's going to truly mean, you know, is it going to, to lead to a certain elegance, you know, within society and with the way we run our lives? Or is it going to lead to bedlam? Like, it's, there's no answer to it right now. Maybe that's a good question for (laughs) ChatGPT. We should punch that in after this. (laughs) But but all the same, I mean, it's interesting as well in that this program, this segment, since I've had it in the crystal ball segment, again, it it always tracks back to technology. And since ChatGPT came around, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of the guests will track back to that, whether I prompt them or not. It, it, it's certainly on their minds, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, and in mine as well. I think it just sort of naturally comes out due to this level of intrigue and due to the fact that it is a, a game changer in so many different uh, senses. So, I, yeah, I'm glad you raised it. But as far as the impact it's going to have within interactive media and what you were sharing there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to turn your industry, your business probably upside down and uh, exciting for some, again, maybe a bit of apprehension for others, but uh, all the same, it'll be interesting to track, no doubt. Well, this might be a good point to uh, to close things down here, but I've got to say, Evan, I mean, this has been such a riveting talk and I've enjoyed every second of it. And I can't thank you enough for sharing all of your insights and wonderful stories.
1: Well, I appreciate the making the time and uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to join your show. You've had such a great lineup of people involved. Uh, I, I listened to quite a few and I can't wait to see where the show goes forward. Thanks so much. Well, for those
0: interested in learning more about Evan and his work, you can check him out via his company website, stitch.media, or you can also find him on LinkedIn and on several other social channels. And for reference, the links will be in the show notes. And I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend, share. I mean, that stuff helps way more than you can know. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.